Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, hello. Uh, welcome to a very special bonus episode of Comedy Album Book Club. I'm Jason DeLine, your host as always, and with me today is my co-producer, Matt Ardill. How are you, Matt? Hey, good, thanks. Good. So we've got uh, kind of an exciting opportunity today. I'm about to speak with Mr. Patton Oswalt. Yeah, it's going to be a, a fun conversation. I think it will be. He's, uh, uh, you know, as you listeners know, he's an accomplished comedian, been around for a while, and author. And he's uh, in the middle of a book tour, uh, or just finished a book tour. I think um, it's in the middle. He's got yeah, a couple okay. more appearances. For uh, his late wife's book, he finished it for her, a true crime book, and then uh, toured it around. Imagine it's a Incredibly emotional experience and probably cathartic as well. To for sure, I, I saw him in New York, at the mm-hmm. New York Public Library, speaking about it. Right, and uh, it was is definitely a passion project. There's mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of care that went into it, and to see him speak about it was really really incredible. Yeah, I imagine. Did he talk about it all as if it if it uh, lengthened the grieving process or helped with the grieving process? Um, I, from the way he spoke about it, I, it felt like it helped. Yeah, the grieving process and cool. helping complete her legacy. Yeah, I can't speak for him in his process of grief, but sure, uh, we it, might it, touch on that a bit yeah. uh, today, or we might not. I mean, yeah, but, uh, but it definitely it was something that was very pa- he was very passionate about, yeah. and uh, I, I think it probably helped him a lot. So I've been asked a few times how this interview came to be. So you might be the person who's better to speak to that. He was obviously featured on uh, this most recent episode of Comedy Album Book Club where Ian McIntyre chose the Werewolves and Lollipops album, and we went into depth with that. But you had an idea. Yeah, I figured, uh, you know, what's the worst case scenario if I reach out to a publicist or two? And uh, so I sent an email, um, just brief description of what it is we do and the link to our, our website, and asked if they'd be interested and if Patton would be interested in and speaking with us about werewolves and lollipops and his career and comedy. Yeah, and pretty much immediately they said, yeah, we'd love to. So yeah, yeah, it was, pretty a, great. it was a great response that they were really interested and, and really excited. As are we. So uh, we're very excited to bring this interview to you, and uh, we should be talking to him shortly. We're going to come back afterwards and talk a little bit how the conversation uh, went, uh, but I'm sure it's going to be quite enjoyable. So please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Patton Oswalt. Hello. Hello. Hey, is this Mr. Patton Oswald? Hi, guys. How you doing? My name's uh, Jason DeLine. Hi. I don't know if you know anything about this uh, podcast we do. It's uh, called Comedy Album Book Club, 
and we've been doing it for about seven months. And what we do is uh, we all get together in a comedy club and listen to an album somebody picked. And then a bunch of comedians talk about it on a panel for the podcast. Right. And uh, we did Bob Newhart and we did Nichols and May. And then my buddy Ian McIntyre said, well, how about werewolves and lollipops? Mm-hmm. So we listened to it and we liked it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. And so we talked about it a bunch. And, uh, you know, I asked him why he didn't pick you, uh, your first album. And he said, well, first of all, because it's over two hours long. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, there was feeling kind of patent. And, uh, but he said this was your first great album. Oh. Yeah. And I wonder what you thought about that. Like, do you, uh, I don't know if you listen to your old albums ever. And um, I mean, I was I, kind of like when I record an album, it, it, it's kind of done. Like, right. I, I move on and kind of dip up the dress. I, don't, I, don't, I rarely go back and listen to it again. It's just sort of a snapshot in time. I'm yeah. always trying to work on new stuff, I guess. Fair enough. So yeah, that that's kind of I don't really go back and analyze it and, and re-listen to it. Do people bring stuff up to you and like that you don't remember or that you go, oh man, yeah, that was forever ago? Or sooner the well, they'll bring up a bit and I don't know all of the little ins and outs of it. Like maybe I should, which you know I always feel kind of bad about. But it's just because I'm always I just have new uh, you know new stuff on, in in mind. It's a weird thing, right? Like when you meet people who have your own work memorized better than you do, I imagine. That is always very, uh, very, very flattering when they do that. Yeah. But it's hard. Very flattering. Is it hard to talk about, though? Like, they know it so well, and maybe you don't anymore. Like you said, you feel like you're letting them down, but you can't be expected to well, keep it I all mean, your it's head. not that it's hard to talk about. It's just like it, it affected them. It's, mm. like, it's like when a band puts out an album, you don't get to control how a, a song or a, or if you're a comedian, how a bit lands on someone so you know you have your own thing and if they have their own interpretation of their own way of getting into it then who am i to go well actually no i meant it this way so right what about uh what about comedy albums of yore? like uh, i know you're you're a big movie guy and you seem to be a guy who likes to complete things like check off the list of cult movies and stuff like that like is there anything with comedy albums like that for you or was was there a list you wanted to listen to or that you did listen to I was never a completist when it came to comedy albums. I just wanted to, you know, kind of enjoy stuff. I never had a list of albums. It was always more movies with me. Yeah. Um, so there was that. What's a what's a comedy album you can think of? Like like if you were to if you were to do the podcast and want to talk about a comedy album, is there one that sticks out for you? There's a Richard Pryor album called Are You Serious? And it's really yeah. fascinating because he's sort of making the transition from uh, the the when he was trying to be kind of a uh, a more straight laced comedian to the Richard Pryor that we kind of um, know and love. Mm-hmm. And you see the, you know, it, it, you're watching this guy becoming who he is, and it's amazing to kind of go, uh, oh wow! So you know, he wasn't just sprung from the forehead of Zeus; he had to form <laughs> himself too. And it's you know, when you see a genius like that doing the work, it. it makes you go, you know, well, I'm going to try to put in the work. Maybe I can reach those levels. Probably not, but, you know, he's human. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's neat to see that moment in time where something was actually incubating, right, before they were the, the polished product. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you feel like there was a point in that for you that we can listen to? Was there a place that you would say, here's where I kind of figured it out? I don't know. Again, that's up to the listeners. It's not yeah. really up to me. I, you know, I, it, it, it's up to... Because it depends on who they, what they like me for, or what don't, what they don't like me for, and then um, 
So, you know, that that's they decide what that moment is or isn't. I don't get to decide that or, or decide that for myself. And even if I did, I, I certainly wouldn't say it out loud. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you do you feel like there's a varied reason, re- different reasons why people like you? I know it's weird to talk about why people like you and stuff, but well, I mean, there's varied reasons why people like anything, but you yeah. know, that's not my that's not my area of that's that's not my department to try to figure that out. Sure, that's for other people, not me. I'm trying to just do new work all the time. Is that a is that a difficult thing? I mean, there was one uh, one quote from your uh, your uh, book that uh, really started uh, stood out to me. And it was any true creative endeavor demands constant evolution, growth, experimentation, and challenge. And I thought that was that was a great quote, pretty profound, uh, you know, from a comedian's perspective, I think. But then I started thinking, you know, a lot of comedians do have to drop everything they've done once an album or a special comes out and then start over and keep digging. And it, does that get harder or to keep coming up with stuff that's important um, to you? No, life it, just it change? Get, it's, it's not that it gets harder. It's just, you know, you're, you're way... You're constantly becoming more and more comfortable being on stage. So mm. I think the harder thing is to let go of things that you've become very comfortable with and that have worked for you because otherwise then that'll just become your thing. So that you'll notice little, you'll start to notice little um, uh, tricks and quirks and ways of saying things that you'll rely on and you'll go out of your way to go, okay, now I can't do that anymore. I got to think of something else here. Right. Yeah. It seems like as your career has gone on, it, you get more and more personal. I mean, obviously, big things have happened to you along the way. But do you, right. do you feel like you've become more comfortable, you know, sort of bearing your soul to the world as than you were in the beginning? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. But I think everyone does. You know, yeah. everyone becomes more comfortable with as comedians uh, or just people in general with age or with people in general or yeah. anyone doing you know pursuing any kind of artistic. Um, or even a vocational thing, you know, there's it, a, a guy who's an architect or a carpenter or a bricklayer, you know, starts out very, very basic. And as they go on, they they um, do more and more, you know, as they become more comfortable with their tools and with the medium, you know, I think that they try to reach for, um, uh, you know, uh, harder and harder things. Right. Yeah, you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over. It gets boring, I guess. Right, people right. demand more of you these days. It seems it seems it seems like they audiences more want the more personal stuff now too than it used to be. Like comedians can't rely as much on it. Do you ever notice airplane food? Like it, it feels like audiences are demanding more personal stuff from comedians. Well, but 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 they also are demanding just newer ways into old forms. So it would if you thought of a brilliant take on airline food or hmm. on the a take on people doing jokes about airline food that you'd never thought of. The, that no one had ever thought of before, then that could also be just as, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. the Book of Mormon was a, is a brilliant musical, but they didn't do anything with the form of Broadway musicals. If anything, they used very, very familiar forms uh, of songs people already know to kind of smuggle in way mm. deeper ideas and stuff. So, you know, I, to to sit there and go, oh, well, this is hack and this can't be done. Well, maybe there's maybe you're the one that will find a new way into it. I wanted to ask about your heckler on uh, Werewolves and Lollipops. Like that turned into a pretty good chunk of that track, and I wonder if you, you know, it, it seemed like a gift in a way because so much great stuff became came out of your improv about that. But I wondered how you, if you remember how you feel felt when it happened, or when you, how you feel when it does happen now. I don't really, I don't, th- I don't, I don't really think about it or analyze it. I mean, mm. the, the reason that I'm so good with hecklers on stage is because I've failed so many times and. 
hecklers have gotten the better of me. And then the mm. next day I woke up and it was like, oh, the world didn't end. So I just, you know, it's not that I'm so brilliant or so fearless. I've just failed so many times. And now I'm just like, I'll just, I don't care. Right. So it doesn't bother you either way. It's not, I imagine most comedians prefer it doesn't happen. They've got something rehearsed. But Oh, I totally prefer it doesn't happen. Yeah. Hecklers <laughs> do not help a show. They stop a show from being a show. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's unfair that uh, comedians seem to be, I mean, especially women in the last few years, seem to be criticized for how they handle a heckler. And people don't seem to understand, like, that's not the show. Like, you, people don't can't just walk in a movie theater and pause the film and start talking and then you r- regain momentum. Like, it's a yeah, tough, I unexpected mean, thing. It's always going to be a problem. But, you yeah. know, but hopefully, hopefully you can cultivate smarter and smarter audiences. But do you, do you think the onus is also on the comedian to constantly be to be ready for that and to have sort of armor ready to go? No, it should, the, the onus for that should be on the club owners, yeah. staff, to stop that happening. Yeah, it doesn't tend to happen too much where people get kicked out. It seems like a lot of owners think that's part of the show as well, from what I've yeah, seen. Yeah, but, but some people, they're just like, you know, there's still that holdover from the 80s where drunks were king. Yeah, yeah, they're paying the, they're keeping the lights on, right? I guess, yeah. Do you think... Most good stand-up comedians are also good writers. I mean, listening to your albums, when you tell these stories, it seems like they're very purposefully laid out and ordered. Like, you you talk about punching up and how you might come onto a movie and they go, well, can we put this scene here or that scene here? I imagine that kind of craft goes into the the stand-up as well, and it it makes me think that really good stand-ups must be great writers and be able to understand how stories work. And that might seem like an obvious thing, but would you say that's no, true? I mean, the, the, a joke and a story are two very, very different things. I no. can't really explain it in technical terms, but there's plenty of comedians that they just do the setup, the punchline, they strip it down, which is mm. great. That's a great art form, but when you expect them to be writers, which... Um, demands a little more sustained concentration and attention to more maybe elliptical detail. Hmm. There's a lot of comedians that when they've had a book deal or something, they just transcribe their act. They're just they're just not into the act of writing. So, hmm. you know, I was always into writing before I became a stand-up. So I don't think that it's true that all great comedians are also great writers. So do you feel like you came at it from sort of the opposite way? Your writing really informed the way you did stand-up? You're already sort of a verbose-type person and... Wanted to tell stories. Yes, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I, I, I guess because my my initial interest was in reading and in writing. I'm not mm. saying that makes me a better comedian. Just saying that mm. I just, I just, my brain is wired differently. Right. Are there other comedians you think you have styles in common with? Um, I mean, just my circle of friends that I came up with, only because we all kind of were having the same experiences and hung out with each other all the time. Right. And do you think that came out of sort of a, a rejection at all of how comedy was being done at the time? Or, I mean, it was just it was whatever our generation was dealing with at the time. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. always every every new wave coming up rejects the one before it because you're trying to form your own um, uh, you're trying to form your own um, voice, I guess. So you know, sure. there is that generational thing that I think just ha- happens in everything, and not just in comedy, but just in in society itself. Right. I, I get the feeling, too, that uh, people that, you know, people who become famous now or, or people who are known for any kind of art are expected to be um, accessible to a degree, like to be on Twitter or to to talk to fans and to, 
you, you know, it seems like the people we're fans of now are people who seem like a regular person, for lack of a better term. You know, ego is no longer in fashion. It's not this untouchable thing that we want. It's I think it's that we want someone who seems like us and we can feel that we can use them as an avatar or something. I mean, everyone is in anything, in, in a book you read, in a piece of music, you know, you see a, per, a piece of yourself in there because everyone's just... um looking for, I mean, oh, I'm, I'm not articulating this very That's well. Good. I mean, I, again, I think it's just a general, I just think it's a generational thing. Yeah. I listened to uh, this week to more of your, uh, your book again, your, your, your most recent one, the, the screen fiend one. And, uh, one thing I caught in there was when you were talking about your time at mad TV, uh, that you were, you were bitter and envious towards other comedians who were doing well. And, uh, you know, eventually you, you got to a point where you could sort of champion other people and you could be excited by uh, people doing things. And I, I wondered how you overcame that. Like, that seems like a big, dark feeling that it seems like just went away. I mean, how did you get to a point where you realized that envy and bitterness weren't doing you any good and, and to look at the brighter side? Uh, you know, it, it comes from mellowing with age. It comes from, hmm. you know, getting a little bit of perspective as you get older. When you're younger, you you don't really have any experience yet, so you think that you're, um, you think that you know, life is short. Well, life is life can be really long, and hmm. you know, try to enjoy the experiences more than, you know, just uh, um, if you're just you, you don't get ahead because you claw your way to the top. You get ahead because you work hard at what you do and you're nice, and people want you to succeed. Right. Yeah, and I guess everybody has to learn that on their own. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, do you still go to the movies uh, a lot? As much as I can, but you know, yeah. fatherhood and sure. other career stuff—it's it, you know, you don't have the time. Yeah, that you have when you're young and broke. Young, young broke people are amazing moviegoers. So, <laughs> are there still movies that you haven't seen from a long time ago that are on your list that you just? Oh God, yeah, too many to name. Yeah, I, I mean, every every film buff has huge gaps in their film knowledge and that just kind of comes with the territory i guess well yeah it's impossible to just to imagine i used to be uh more of a film buff than i am now and whenever there was a you know local uh film festivals i love the idea of going to see eight movies a day and eventually i'll see them all but uh you just realize it's not possible i don't have (laughs) i don't have 16 hours man yeah (laughs) Yeah. and they keep making movies like you'll never catch up exactly (laughs) Are there other comedians out there right now that you admire? Something that they have that you wish you did? Oh, yeah. I mean, all my friends still, my circle yeah. of friends that I came up with, they're always surprising me in doing, you know, taking new um, uh, runs at things. And, and it just, you know, I'm very lucky that I came up with this amazing circle of friends. That, hmm. And then the, the new wave of comedians coming up, the people that are in their late teens and 20s is the best wave I've ever seen hmm. in, in terms of, the ratio of good comedians to bad comedians, it's insane right now. So that's that's very um, encouraging. Cool. Uh, do you see yourself evolving in some way? Or I know that that's something that's hard to predict, and you're always just trying to do great work, but do you see a change coming for how you do things? Or um, I hope that I evolve, but I can't predict yeah. how that will happen. Nobody can. Sure. I'm just wondering if there's uh... – if there's things you want to try that you haven't tried yet, are there ways you want to I, I don't know what those things are. Those yeah. things will always end up surprising you. Okay. You think you might have another night cafe at some point? Is that something you expect to have? I hope I do. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I hope everyone does. I, we were listening to um, when we were listening to Werewolves and Lollipops. There's a point in there. There's a there's a great bit about uh, how many birthdays we get in our lifetime. We get 20 birthdays. Yeah, yeah. And that was. Uh, 
before you were a father. So one of the questions that came up when we uh, listened to the album the other night is if your daughter will have an 11th birthday. I don't know. If anything, <laughs> I think so. I mean, even now, she's eight, and she doesn't want a huge birthday. She's like, I just want these mm. four friends at my party. Oh, okay. So, you know, we'll probably have a get-together, but it won't be some big to-do. Yeah. You All know? Right. <laughs> I think even she's getting me on that in a weird way. I mean, I remember when I was like 11, 12, and 13, I didn't care that much about my birthday. I was mm. like, eh, I mean, this is fun, but want to hang out with my friends how often do you listen to comedy albums now is it a regular thing for you uh not as often as i'd like i mean yeah. again i'm just too busy yeah because i know you were like you grew up as i did with like albums like cosby and stuff and i just wonder if you know through things that have come out in, in the last while are there albums that are hard to listen to because of context or are you able to separate artists from art sometimes i can sometimes i can't it just depends yeah. on the artist it depends on what they do and i think it depends on the on the uh, uh, individual who's watching it and what their experience is and how they feel about stuff. Yeah, it is a very individual thing. And I, it's funny how art is so individual, how it affects every person, but there seems to be some milestones in society where everyone, a lot of people feel like everyone has to feel the same way about this thing. It has to be black and white. And, you know, you yeah, can't exactly. watch any more Polanski films. That's just it. And, uh, it's hard, and it's getting harder, you know, with uh, the the more names and people that come out there. I mean, how do we separate having lifelong heroes and uh, from work I we've know, always exactly. loved? It's, it's hard. You've seen the people on Twitter who demand you talk about certain things. Is it hard? Is Have you had your fingers on the keyboard and almost said some stuff and then said, no, nah, I can't, I just can't partake in this? No. I mean, no? you can, I mean, people on the Internet, they... They can't demand anything of me. I've, right. You know, I've been doing comedy for, for 30 years. I've had people screaming at me from five feet from my face. So some guy typing on a keyboard, I don't care. Sure. <laughs> I just don't care. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder what it's like. Like if, you know, because you've got people are your fans who are on Twitter. And, I you know, I wonder how you people draw the line between if they say they want something or expect something, like, do we have an obligation? Do, do, do celebrities have an obligation to their fans and to what extent? They don't have an, ob- they have an obligation to go create things their fans can then decide whether or not they like, but I don't think they have an obligation to, to perform at the, at the direct behest of their fans. Sure. Okay. So you've never felt that, uh, you, you've never sort of been on the fence, like, ah, everybody wants this. Um, no. Okay. I mean, it, it's, cool. I mean, Look, if everybody wants it and I want it, then good. Yeah, right. I want it. I, don't, I just I don't care. I just I'm not going to do it. Fair enough, man. Yeah, cool. So, are you at the end of this tour now? You you've been doing it for a while, the book tour, yeah? I'm halfway through. Halfway through. How's that been going? How do you how do you feel about it? I mean, it's good. I've done book tours before, so I yeah. kind of know how to, you know, deal with it, but it's uh it's just tiring being on the road. Being on the road is not easy when you're in your 40s. It's not as easy uh, is when you're in your 20s. Is the cathartic part of this process sort of over, and now this is all marketing, or is it still nice to? I mean, well, I'm that's not... what it always is. It's, yeah. <clears throat> it's create, promote, repeat. That's right. how. That's how it works. Sure, but I imagine this project feels a little different, or has felt different at different times, right? Obviously. Well, um, I mean, every project feels different, but this one is sure. definitely unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine. You must have gone through so much fear to to wonder if you'd be able to even touch this thing, let alone do it justice. Yeah, but you know, you you uh, you get the courage to do the thing that scares you after you do it. But it's been you're you're happy with the the response from the the fans and how well the book has been doing. 
Oh, yeah, I'm very, very um, gratified by that. It makes me very, very happy. Is there any possibility that you'd want to continue doing anything with true crime? It's it's not my wheelhouse. It, yeah. would, be, it would be irresponsible of me to do that because I wouldn't. it wouldn't be helpful to anyone. You know, if anything, I'm going to facilitate and signal boost the people that are doing the good work. Right. So have you got another book in the hopper, more ideas? We will see. I, I don't know. I don't like to talk about stuff when, when it's an embryonic form, you know? Fair enough, yeah. All right. Well, we hope to see more from you soon. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate talk you talking to, you. to me, man. Yeah, it's super cool. And uh, we'll be releasing this uh, sometime next week alongside of the podcast that we talked about your album. And uh, we're huge fans. And, uh, yeah, thanks again for taking the time. Really Let appreciate it. Let me know, it. man. Yeah, we'll do. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. Take care. So that was Patton Oswalt. Very nice of him to take the time out and talk yeah, to me. That was awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, he's such a down-to-earth, easygoing kind of guy to talk to. Yeah. He seemed very honest and open. And Yeah, yeah that's, that's one of the things I, I love about all of his comedy is uh, you get to hear what he thinks. He does yeah. It's unvarnished. It's, un, it's you know the truth as he knows it at that time. Absolutely, right? yeah. It doesn't seem like anything that was pre-written. He doesn't have talking points. He's just... No. This is what I think, and this is yeah. who I am. Cool. Well, thanks for setting it up, Matt. This was uh, very cool. I hope you enjoyed listening to this uh, as much as I did. Remember, Comedy Album Book Club happens the first Thursday of every month. We get together, listen to an album at the Social Capital Theater here in Toronto, and then a bunch of comedians talk about it. We have a panel, and my featured guest is my friend and colleague, Neil Jones. He chose the album Motormouth by Ben Elton. Please join us for that. Tickets are pay what you can and proceeds always go to Covenant House, Canada's largest agency for at-risk and homeless youth. Next month, we will be there at 8.15 p.m. as opposed to 9.30. Yes, we got a bump up, so that's going to help for many of you, I'm sure. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at C-A-B-C Podcast. (laughs) And uh, you can follow along to find out other Uh, comedians will be interviewing and when we're posting new episodes you can also submit questions for the panel and for our various interviewees thanks very much again for joining us my name's jason deline thanks for listening to comedy album book club this podcast was recorded at tattoo sound and music special thanks to our engineer extraordinaire brianna todd Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.